perfect? Bang on my chest if you think I'm perfect. Go ahead, bang on it. No heart? You gotta have heart. Miles and miles of heart. This is Patchwork Heart Ministries' Young Catholics Respond, brought to you by Breadbox Media. Now, here's your host, Bill Snyder. Thanks, Adam, and welcome to the program, everybody. I am Bill Snyder. This is Young Catholics Respond. It is wonderful to have you with us today, no matter where you're listening from. Thank you for tuning in. Always want to give a shout-out to our friends at the Light of Life Radio Network in West Virginia. Thank you if you're tuning in on Light of Life Radio, and don't forget to support them here as uh, as the year ends. Uh, please, please give generously to all those who support uh, Young Catholics Respond and Patchwork Heart Ministry. I don't want to spend too, too much time talking about ourselves, though, today because I have a wonderful guest with me. His name is Brandon McGinley, and he is a Catholic writer and speaker based in the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area. His work has appeared in the Washington Post, the New York Post, First Things, and The Lamp, among other venues. He is also a contributing editor at Plow Quarterly. His first book, The Prodigal Church, Restoring Catholic Tradition in an Age of Deception was released in June of 2020. He speaks around the country on topics ranging from Catholic family life to friendship to church renewal. Brandon is a 2010 graduate of Princeton University where he met his wife Katie and they have four young children and live in the Pittsburgh uh, neighborhood of Brookline. So uh, Brandon, welcome to the program and thank you so much for have, uh, coming on Young Catholics Respond. Oh, it's no problem at all. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so it, it does sound like you have a fascinating journey. I know today we're going to spend some time talking about a new book uh, that was just released with you and Dr. Scott Hahn called It Is Just and Right. Uh, but before we get to that, I would love to just hear a little bit of your faith journey because it sounds like you have a, a unique one and a, and a powerful one. Sure. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, um, I was born and raised in Pittsburgh and, uh, you know, as a member of a uh, Catholic family, one of those one of those Pittsburgh families that you know you can go way back for generations, and uh, and you know everyone everyone's Catholic. That's just just how it was around here. And uh, you know both my parents grew up in city neighborhoods where the parish was the center of not just spiritual life but all life. Where you know the gym was where uh, all the major community events would be held and things like that. Um, and then, uh, you know, I think like a lot of people of my generation, um, by the time I got to middle and high school, I was feeling a little bit less uh, attached to the whole thing. Um, uh, you know, I would say that like a lot of people also my generation, uh, you know, I was presented in um, catechesis a vision of the faith that was pretty... Um, pretty childish, uh, that played into a lot of the, uh, stereotypes of the world around us. <clears throat> and so, you know, when, uh, when, when the faith is watered down to make it palatable to children, it, um, comes across as being something for children. Uh, when in fact, uh, uh children can handle a lot more than we give them credit for. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, by the time I went to college at Princeton, like you said, I was um, practicing the faith only sporadically, um, still more or less believed in all of the, the kind of moral teachings of the church, but uh, was, not, um, was not engaged in the practice of the faith. It seemed like something that was uh, 
just not really worth the time. And it's kind of ridiculous to say that when you're really just talking about an hour a week to go to mass, because that's what it felt like all it really would require. Of course, the whole point of the book and the point of a lot of my work now is that it requires a lot more than that. But um, but even that bare minimum, I was like, eh, you know, I'm sleepy on Sundays. <laughs> um, and uh, and then honestly, you know, the, um, the, the, the Catholic chaplaincy at Princeton was outstanding. Uh, there was wonderful uh, professors out there. The priests were there were wonderful. I had some wonderful friends who gently encouraged me to go back to mass by, for instance, when he was going, he would ask me to go with him. Mm-hmm. And when I said, eh, he would ask me why. And so I would have to articulate some really bad reason. Like I'm tired, like I'm tired all the time. There's nothing, there's nothing <laughs> new about being tired at four o'clock on, on, on Sundays. Cause we had, it was an afternoon right. mass at, at the university. And, um, and so, uh, you know, uh, I eventually, um, you know, returned to the practice of the faith, returned to the sacraments at the university. Um, and this is kind of the opposite of the story for a lot of people. But uh, to be honest, this kind of has kindled in me a real passion for um, campus ministry, because I, I don't think it should be the opposite. Uh, college is a time when people are searching, when people, uh, when young people are searching intellectually, often searching spiritually, even if they don't fully realize it. Um, and, uh, and where they're looking to have their questions answered, and often where they are experiencing a lot of psychological and emotional confusion and are feeling uh, a little bit lost in the world. And that's exactly the kind of place where the light of Christ, where the light of the truth needs to shine the brightest. And so, um, and so I think that, uh, <laughs> you know, whatever you think of this comparison, uh, you know, I think that college campuses and prisons are two of the most fertile mission fields we have right now, where you have contained environments with people who are often struggling in various ways, uh, where lots of people are trying to get them um, for various spiritual or intellectual movements or whatever, and where we should be active and bold. Um, And, uh, and so, you know, so for me, then I, I then, you know, returned to the practice of the faith in, in college. Uh, by the end of our, um, by the end of our senior year, I was engaged. And um, the, the rest, I suppose, is, is history. You know, I uh, ended up working in politics for a while. And uh, my career, such as it is, has been basically a slow disentanglement from politics. <laughs> and uh, yeah, very and now um, work on uh, Catholic writing and editing and speaking and so on full time. Awesome, awesome stuff. Uh, and you know, uh, the uh, the the book that we're going to talk about today, uh, it is right and just. Uh, and the subtitle, by the way, is "Why the Future of Civilization Depends on True Religion." Uh, is is just a fascinating topic to talk about. And as as you um, a, as you kind of mentioned or alluded to, you know. And I and I love the analogy where you just said, you know, colleges and prisons uh, are are two areas that are the most fertile in the mission field today, especially in America, anyway. And um, you know, trying to capture that captive audience and and do conscience formation uh, with them in in that area is is so very important. Um, this this book seems to be uh, something that our world needs, especially right now, uh, for what we're going through and all of the political uh, drama that is unfolding constantly, um, you know, it seems like in today's culture. So uh, if I can just ask you about, you know, why? 
why did you yeah. choose uh, to to write this book uh, right right at this specific time? Was it because of all of the uh, turmoil that we that we have going on? Yeah, you know, it's it's funny. You know, we we didn't. Uh, Dr. Hahn and I did not uh, anticipate a pandemic, and um, well, I guess we could have anticipated a fractious election cycle, even if it wasn't here yet. We probably could have predicted that, but um, we didn't pre predict the acceleration of the instability and confusion in the world around us, certainly to the extent that it occurred when we decided to write on this topic. Um, but, uh, I, I, you know, obviously it turned out to be even more timely than we knew. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that, that people recognize that we are living in a time, like I said, of instability, and that I think people recognize implicitly, even though we might disagree about the specific contours of this, uh, we understand that a lot of the instability in the world today in America and around the West and around the whole world has to do with um, has to do with a lack of justice. Like I said, we might disagree about the specific contours of that, but everyone understands to some degree that uh, societies are not functioning precisely the way they should, and more so than usual. Not just in the normal sense that societies usually don't quite work just so, but in in a in a more what. Um, serious and uh, and and seemingly perhaps permanent or or terminal sense than than we had uh, than we had perceived and so you know the main thesis of the book then is to say that uh, the justice that we expect and hope for in the world around us doesn't come out of nothing it can't emerge out of a kind of liberal secular consensus that tries to get rid of any sort of supernatural idea of what is good and right and just um, but depends for its entire stability and sustainability on uh, what we would call the supernatural or the vertical axis of justice. You could think of justice as being cruciform. The vertical axis of justice is traditionally the virtue of religion, the virtue by which we give whatever justice we can in our human way to God. Mm -hmm. The vertical axis of justice in that kind of cross form of justice um, that is the justice we owe to our fellow man. And when the vertical isn't there, when we've ignored it, when we've considered it out of bounds, then that, that horizontal has no, nothing to stand on. And so um, you can understand then the, the instability and the injustice of our world today as being a, an artifact of the lack of justice that we are uh, performing to God in the virtue mm -hmm. of religion. Yeah, what a, what a beautiful... Um beautiful way to lay lay it out for us um and i and i also love that you mirror the the words we hear every sunday at mass right every sunday at mass it is right and just isn't that our reply right yes. uh yeah it, it's an ancient it's an ancient response too it's there's nothing you know this is not something that was just appended to the mass at the second vatican council or something like that these are these words are attested almost as early as any words of the mass so the second or the third century, there is evidence of these words being used in the mass. And so this idea of, of, um, of religion as a matter of justice, that worship is a matter of justice, not something we just add on to our life as a nice little accessory, but as an essential aspect of, 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 the, uh, of, of our duty to the Lord. This is as ancient as anything in the church. Um, and like I said, it's not. It was not. A, it's not a modern add-on, nor is it a medieval add-on. It is. A, it is. It is as uh, as traditional as it gets. Mm. How beautiful, uh, folks! I have to take a short break here on Young Catholics Respond, 
as we're talking with Brandon McGinley, but uh, about his about his new book uh, with Dr. Scott Hahn, it is right and just why the future of civilization depends on true religion. Uh, we got to just take a quick break, Brandon. But when we come back, uh, well, I'm going to continue talking with you about this topic because there's so many different facets uh, to understanding how worship truly is a duty uh, that we have to perform uh, as as humans toward God, and also uh, how we can uh, bring that uh, worship out more in a public way so that people can begin realizing and recognizing uh, how how we can be just and and uh, right to put religion in the proper context in our society. So right back after these messages here on Young Catholics Respond, I'm Bill Snyder. Are you looking for a way to deepen your prayer life and faith this Advent season? A Contemplative Las Posadas by Bill Snyder is a novena that offers reflections based on the traditional Mexican devotion that reenacts the journey of St. Joseph and the Blessed Virgin Mary from Nazareth to Bethlehem. The ecclesiastically approved devotional is available for purchase for only $4.99 on our website, patchworkheart.org, or emailing info at patchworkheart.org. At times it seems like the world today is filled with so much division, bigotry, and hatred. So it's up to us to make sure that we get back to the basics, and that is Jesus Christ and His message of faith, hope, and love. Faith, Hope, Love with John and Morgan Bender is a new project that seeks to do just that by engaging and inspiring Catholics within the Archdiocese of Milwaukee and beyond. Read personal faith stories, interviews, and news all by visiting the Faith, Hope, and Love blog.blogspot.com or follow us on Twitter at Johnny Bender MKE. Hi, everybody. Bill Snyder here just want to thank you for listening to this episode of Young Catholics Respond. And as a founder of Patchwork Heart Ministry, we have so much more going on than just our podcasts. Check it out at patchworkheart.org. Patchwork Heart Ministry is committed to sowing hope into broken hearts by helping young people encounter the love of Jesus Christ and His Catholic Church through prayer, storytelling, and media initiatives we invite you to prayerfully consider supporting this mission financially. Mail your tax-deductible donation to Patchwork Heart Ministry at P.O. Box 563, Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, zip code 53147, or visit patchworkheart.org to donate online. That's Patchwork Heart Ministry, P.O. Box 563, Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, 53147, or online at patchworkheart.org. The St. Raymond Nonatus Foundation for Freedom, Family, and Faith offers prayerful accompaniment for those who are affected by divorce and separation. We offer free online support meetings for those affected by divorce and for adult children of divorce. You can learn more about us at nonatus.org. That's N-O-N-N-A-T-U-S dot org. Text or call 215-870-9913. Our Blessed Mother wants only the best for her children and has given us a special place where she promises to help all those who appeal to her motherly love and protection. Telling Saint Juan Diego that here I will alleviate the sufferings of all those who love me and seek my protection. 
That holy place is now the site of the beautiful Shrine of Our Lady of Guadalupe in Mexico City. If you would like to learn more about how you can visit this special place of grace, please visit vivaguadalupe.org for more information. Our Lady may be calling you now. Your heart is always beating, but you never have to think about it. Welcome back to Young Catholics Respond. Once again, Bill Snyder. Welcome back to Young Catholics Respond, everybody. Uh, today, my guest is Brandon McGinley. He is a Catholic writer and speaker uh, based in the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area. Uh, he is uh, talking about uh, his latest book with us uh, on the program today. It is Right and Just is its title, uh, Why the Future of Civilization Depends on True Religion. And, you know, uh, you gave us a really great overview in the first half of uh, the program, Brandon, about about this, and uh, I, but I want to kind of delve into some of the specific topics. You know, you definitely talked about the cruciform being, you know, having a uh, you know vertical justice in which the horizontal justice of 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 of, of humanity kind of rests on, which I which I think is a beautiful analogy. Uh, but 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 let's talk a little bit about what is where did religion come from? Is it a right given to us by the state? I and uh, you know just maybe talk a little bit about that because I think oftentimes in America, especially today, we we're kind of deluded by that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we tend to think of, of everything. Um, we, it's easy to think of everything as being, uh, basically contingent on, uh, on the state as if, um, as if everything, every, uh, aspect of life that we are permitted to, to pursue, um, in a certain amount of liberty, we can only do so because of the state. As if the uh, as if the default is um, is uh, that uh, we aren't permitted to to pursue some aspect of life, um, but we are only only by virtue of, of the state. And uh, and obviously, in the case of religion, if we take seriously the idea that religion is an aspect of justice that we owe to God, um, first of all, it is an individual duty that precedes the state. First of all. But then secondly, and this is very important in the book, it is not just an individual duty. It is not just an individual aspect of justice. It is an aspect of justice that requires uh, community uh, participation and uh, requires, it, it is, a, it is a, a corporate or communal aspect of justice. And so the, uh, the, the family, for instance, as a unit, as a unit has has duties in virtue of the of the virtue of religion um and and so does uh, and so does ultimately the entire society um because the idea that the individual the idea in, in our world today is that the individual could be religious again kind of as a hobby as a little treat you know yeah. um and uh, but society Anything beyond the individual is is is, is secular, um, is is supposed to be neutral, as if that's possible. But one of the main theses of the book is that it is impossible to be neutral. You can't be neutral between performing the duties of justice to the Lord and not performing the duties of justice to the Lord. One of those is good, and one of those is bad. There's no in between. There's no oh, there's no there's no treating the 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 the. There's no treating justice as uh, as if it is uh, as if it is as we can't be indifferent to it. There's no that's not an option on the table. Yeah. Um, 
And so when a society is, has excluded the possibility of true religion, that is to say the rights of the Catholic church um, has excluded that as a possibility for the organization of society, the result isn't um, indifference. It is indifference, but it is something more than indifference. The result is uh, idolatry. The result is a kind of paganism where we organize our society around idols um, such as profit, such as pleasure, such as, uh, uh, such as uh, certain uh, political uh, identities, um, such as consumerism uh, that become, that are at least as exacting and far less merciful than the true God. Mm. And so the uh, and so the question before us as a civilization isn't shall we be a religious society? Isn't shall we organize ourselves around a religious truth? Isn't shall we perform duties to the truth? It is which truth, which religion, which gods will we serve? Um, and uh, in as much as we have excluded the possibility of serving the true God, we are going to serve other gods. Um, and so as long as we have this idea in our heads that religion is something that we only have by virtue of the state, hmm. we will in some way, shape or form end up worshiping the state or those, or those gods that the state allows us to worship like prophet identity, um, um, you know, we, you know, you don't even need me to list the, the possibilities, right. um, uh, you know, and, and, and that even prescinds from speaking about uh, the, the, at this point, small scale, but still rising uh, increase in, um, in genuine paganism and things like that. Um, so I think, uh, you know, we are, the question then is, uh, you know, who, not shall we worship, but whom shall we worship? Yeah, you know, worship really is uh, non-negotiable, right? You're going to end up worship, worshiping something even if you say you don't worship anything, right? right. Uh, and and uh, it it also brings to mind, I always uh, like that scripture from Revelation where, you know, Christ says, if you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth right. as well. Um, and and that's a beautiful, uh, you know, imagery you know, that, that indifference really is is not an option. We, we, right. And... And so, so challenging this, this, um, this has to move us into one way or another. And the, the other big question, I guess, then that, that lies there is, okay, well, uh, those people who say, no, uh, just keep it as a hobby, you know, mm -hmm. shove it down as a, as your own opinion, because that's truly what it is. Uh, you know, how do we, how do we then take it from being, you know, something that the world says, shove down, keep, keep silent. Don't, don't speak it out to, yeah. oh, no, this is actually how, you know, a, a, as you said, religion presupposes or, you know, predates the, uh, <laughs> the, the society. So how, right. so, so how do we take it and make it something that is, um, you know, what, you know, showing, showing the truth of our, our, our faith. Right. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the two two things that two things that that pop immediately to mind. Um, one is one comes from the cover of the book itself, which is public liturgy, public prayer, bringing Christ to the world. And and I know that we're in the middle of a pandemic. It's a little bit harder to talk about having public events, but at some point we will feel more um, safe and, and free to be able to do these kind of things. And then outdoor stuff, hey, outdoor stuff's supposed to be pretty darn safe. So in any event, the cover of the book is a beautiful old painting of a Rogation Day procession, which was one of these old uh, old liturgical events um, thanking the Lord for the harvest, um, one of these seasonal, one of these seasonal things. Um, so um, you have a, you know, you have processions, Eucharistic processions through the fields. It's a, it's a beautiful painting, and, and the cover is lovely. Um, and uh, and so so that 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 idea covers two things. First of all, it's public. It's public. It uh, it is bringing. It's truly bringing the the physical uh, presence of Christ to uh, to the world. Yes. Secondly, conceptually, it brings the religious, the supernatural, out of its prescribed space in the secular understanding into a different conceptual space, into the conceptual space of the material, of even the scientific, by thanking the Lord for, the, you know, of course, we no longer live in agrarian societies, but thanking the Lord for harvest or thanking the Lord for, uh, for some sort of, for some sort of aspect of our physical material sustenance we are um, witnessing to the fact that we owe everything to God, not just our spiritual well-being, but our material well-being as well. Um, that he, we are, we are witnessing to the fact that that he keeps us in being, not just as a sort of abstracted sense, but in a truly um, intimate sense uh, in every moment of our lives. So. There's the idea of liturgy and that kind of conceptual bring bring bringing faith out of the out of the the purely supernatural and spiritual and bringing it into the material world. And then secondly, it is living um, as Catholics 24-7, not just in the one hour a day in, uh, at Mass, not just in, uh, not just in our homes, but, um, but, but refusing to seed the rest of our lives, the other 200 some odd hours or whatever it is of the, uh, of the, uh, of the, of the week to uh, refusing to seed that to, um, to secularism, uh, refusing to seed that to, uh, to a, a false neutrality. So that means when we're challenged on uh, on some on something that we know is 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 unjust at work or something like that, saying this, I I I cannot do this. Um, uh, you know, not backbiting and and gossiping whenever that is the norm among among uh, among the people around us. Just things like that that should be easy. Easy is not the right word. That should make sense. The you know living this way is not easy. Um, but that that should make sense. But so often we just we have become so so catechized by the idea that we can't be Christians uh, in a full sense outside of uh, the prescribed spaces that, um, uh, that that's uh, that that's the that's the catechesis we've received and that's the catechesis we live uh, and I you know I, I say this not not to not to cast aspersions on everyone around me but just knowing from my own life that you know this this is such an easy thing to fall into 
Yeah, it is. Uh, and and taking it out and making it public. Uh, I Again, I do love the cover of the book, uh, and I encourage everybody to get a copy of this book. Uh, it is uh, it is a beautiful, beautiful, uh, beautiful cover on, on this. And, and you gave some really great insights as to why it's there. Um, you know, and making our faith public and just, you know, it doesn't have to be a lot of, um, it doesn't have to be necessarily like big things. It just is right. bringing the Lord into uh, your daily life every day and making him in a, in a public way, whether it's, you know, even praying the rosary on a train, you know? Yes. Uh, oh, absolutely. Right. I mean, like those little things can, can really, uh, really help, um, just say, Oh, there's people, you know, that are, that are religious that are, this guy believes this, you know? Um, yeah. and, and so that's beautiful. I want to ask you in just a, uh, closing uh, minutes of the program. Uh, first of all, your website, uh, is brandonmcginley.com. Uh, yep. So people can go there and, and check out the many different uh, things that you do there, writing, speaking, uh, books, and all of that. Um, but but also just tell us a little bit about that and tell us about uh, where people can get a copy of the book and, uh, and, sure. and, you know, all that. Absolutely. Yep, yeah. So, yeah, my website's brandonmcginley.com. You can read more about my stuff there. Um, you know, these days there's not too much going on in terms of speaking engagements, but I do do stuff on Zoom and so on. So, you know, I'm, I'm happy to accept all inqu inquiries there. And then, you know, the book is available at Emmaus Road, excuse me, at Emmaus Road Publishers, which is uh, Dr. Hahn's uh, you know, organization with the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology out there in Steubenville. And, um, and so you can find the book there and, uh, you know, anywhere else Catholic books are sold. Um, yeah. So, you know, that, that's, that's me and that's the book. Awesome. Brandon, I thank you so much for coming on today and, uh, and, and being uh, on Young Catholics Respond. Definitely have to have you back anytime you write a book. I'd love to talk about it with you. Uh, or anything else. So thank you so have, much. Have a good one. Yes, well, thanks, folks. This has been an episode of Young Catholics Respond. Until next time, from all of us here at Patrick Art Ministry, I'm Bill Snyder. Keep beating to your Catholic heart. You've been listening to Young Catholics Respond, a radio initiative of Patrick Art Ministry. To learn more about our ministry and program, visit us at patrickhart.org. Or to get exclusive access and early ministry updates, become our patron on Patreon by searching for Patchwork Heart Ministry.